all out. You know I'm going to ask you to do it. Turn to the person next to you, smile and say, you are the best looking thing I've seen all day. Just tell them. <laughs> Just tell them you are hot, man. You're hot. I want you to get your Bible out and I want you to turn it on. And let's look at the book of the Revelation. Yeah, Pastor, Revelation. It's the last book of the Bible. <laughs> and uh, I want you to look at Revelation chapter 2, starting in verse 1 through 7. In prayer and preparing for this week, I want to lay the foundation this morning for what God's going to do tonight and Monday night and Tuesday night. Uh, I had it on my calendar Wednesday night, but we'll just see what God does. And I believe the Lord has an amazing work for us. Amen? I want to speak to you about the lampstand. Is it leaving America? And is there a lampstand for Church on the Rock? Is there a lampstand for Church on the Rock? As the first century was coming to a close and the second century was emerging, God the Father, sitting in heaven, was looking at what was then the known world, and he's looking at the churches of Asia Minor, and he is scanning and looking to see which churches were poised to make a difference as the second century was getting ready to emerge. He finds seven churches that he writes a letter to. Only five received positive letters. Two received a negative letter. And I began to think and wonder, Lord, as America now is going into a new year called 2018, I still believe God the Father is looking for churches that are poised to make a difference. How many say amen to that? And he's scanning and he's looking and he's watching. And I believe that God is calling and he's still looking for churches that are willing to be the lampstand or the candlestick for that nation. This last weekend, I was watching television, and I saw that there were 300,000 people marching in Washington, and there's people marching in Chicago, and they're marching in all these cities. Uh, America has gone crazy. There are so many people in America, they're so open-minded, their brains have fallen out. <laughs> Amen? And you say, what in the world is going on? And I believe the Lord is literally looking at churches and asking the question, do you want the lampstand? Do you really want the lampstand? So join with me in Revelation chapter 1, John on the island of Patmos receiving from God the Father this great revelation. Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. Now he's speaking of Jesus who walks amongst the churches. Verse 2, I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardship from my name and have not grown weary. If you remember, last time when I was here, I spoke to you about the difference between being weary and tired. That weariness is a spiritual attack. Tired is the result of a physical exertion. But weariness is when the devil tries to push you to isolation. How many remember that message? Verse 4. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. 
He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Today, Americans are overloaded with information, and many are bored with it all. There's a restless spirit in our nation. You can see it on television. You see it all over the nation. There's a restlessness. There are people asking all kinds of questions. The average worker is brutalized just to make ends meet. The 40-hour work week is over. I just saw the latest statistics that said the average American family is working 60 to 70 hours a week just to make ends meet. 60 to 70 hours. That's in a household of a husband and a wife. If it's a single parent, it's they're doing it by themselves, 60 hours a week. And understanding this, when they take the time to come to this house, the house of the Lord, they are hungry to hear from the Lord. So it's the responsibility of every preacher to preach the message and bring it exactly as God has given it, realizing it is God's anointing and it is God's word that delivers those and sets people free. And we're nothing more than a conduit or a channel from God himself. And there's a genuine hunger growing in the hearts of an end-time generation. People are looking for a radical change in how they live, in how they relate in their marriage, in how they raise their children. They're searching for answers. No longer can you have the normal approach to parenting. Now you must have a black belt in parenting. Or, as my father said, any other kind of belt I can get my hands on. (laughs) The days of teaching your children, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. Well, those days are gone, never to return to the American family. Nowadays, you must lay your hands upon your children if they are 6 or 66. And you pray, Father, I ask you, to keep your hands upon them. Devil, you keep your filthy, twisted hands off my son and off my daughter in the name of Jesus the Christ. You pray over them. You confess your faith. You plead the blood. You read the word. And you never, never give up. So the modern-day church today no longer can be a sermonette, three songs, and let's go home. How many understand that? I believe that every church meeting must be an all-out attack on the kingdoms of darkness. Well, you didn't hear what I said. I said, I believe that every church meeting must be an all-out attack on the kingdoms of darkness. If you believe that, somebody shout amen. And what we used to call a holy night, what we used to classify as an awesome service, today is a mandatory part of church life every single time we meet together. You must come hungry and broken, longing for the leading of God's Spirit. During worship, we raise our hands and our spirits soaring. Why, Pastor? Well, because you've got to have more joy and strength than the devil has fear. You have to have more Holy Spirit power and courage than the destructive nature of modern-day America. You have to come with the hunger Because something happens in the body life of a church when as one bride, one church, you come to the altars and you lift your voice and say, Lord, we're coming for more of you. If you heal me, that's wonderful. If you begin to do a miracle for my life, that's great. But even more than that, if you choose to do nothing at all, every fiber of my being is just hungry for more of Jesus. I'm longing for more of Jesus. 
Because we need the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. That will destroy the bondages of sin. Amen? Friend, there's a special flame that comes out of a church when the people are constantly asking God for more of him. And I want to speak to you about the lampstand. When I read Revelation chapter 2, verse 1 through 7, it brought to mind all the awesome and powerful things I have seen as a child growing up in church. I grew up in Los Angeles, California. There is a church in Los Angeles that is a testament of God's saving grace. The church has been restored to a virtual powerhouse of God's presence and God's anointing. Its storied history is amazing. When they first started, they named it Angelus Temple. It was founded by Amy Simple McPherson. 12,000 members at the height. They reached movie stars and professional athletes by the thousands. And there wasn't a church or a nation in the world whose spiritual leader had one time or another not come to that church in Los Angeles And the presence of the Lord hovered over that ministry, the anointing of God. And they would have Holy Spirit meetings with the likes of Catherine Kuhlman, Oral Roberts, and Billy Graham. My grandmother and family would go sit and worship in the tangible presence of God. The tangible presence simply means you can feel the anointing. You you feel the heaviness of God's presence. The best way to describe it is if you walk into a sauna at a, hot, at a club or a workout facility and you walk into that hot sauna and it envelops you and you kind of, oh, and your knees buckle. The tangible presence of God. My grandmother would take me from Long Beach, California to Los Angeles to the church in Angeles Temple on the bus. Los Angeles would have that Los Angeles transit bus. And the whole way there she would say, oh, baby, just wait till you get there. You're going to feel it. I'd say, feel what? She said, don't worry. Just wait till you get there. You're going to feel it. And then she would sing in Spanish and then in English and a heavenly language and then in Spanish and then in English. And we'd walk and get on the bus and she would just, great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. <laughs> just wait till you get there. You're going to feel it. I'd say, feel what? She said, don't worry. Just wait till you get there. You're going to feel it. And then she'd start singing another song. On a hill so far away stood an old rugged cross. Whenever we sang those songs in church, when we got to that part that she, I'd go, woo, I'd get hit in the back of the head. So I thought that's what the words were. (laughs) And we'd be on the bus, and Grandma would be just so hungry for the tangible presence of God. And we would get on the bus, and when she realized that everyone was staring at the crazy Puerto Rican lady with the little skinny kid next to her, she looked at them with tears in her eyes and saying, there's room at the cross for you. And the presence of the Lord would fill that bus. And she would look around, and she'd say, who wants to know Jesus? And there was always someone that would raise their hand. And she'd look at me and she'd say, oh, baby, you ain't seen nothing yet. Now, as far as I was concerned, at 8, 9, and 10, we already had the praise and worship, the preaching, and the altar call. All we needed was the offering to pay for the bus ride to get back home. And we would get off the bus at the corner, and we would get into the church and walk into the lobby of Angelus Temple You walked into the tangible presence of God, and your knees would buckle, and she got down on my level, and she said, mijo, baby, do you feel it? 
I said, yeah. What is it? And she'd say, that's the presence of the Holy Spirit. The same power that raised the three-day dead body of the Lamb of God out of a tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. And she'd look at me and she'd say this, but remember, your salvation is not based on feeling. Your salvation is based on grace. But isn't it good to feel the presence of Jesus? I'd say, yeah. And we'd go all the way up to the balcony. And I believe that God put in that middle of that church a lampstand like what is mentioned in Revelation chapter 2. The lampstand is a privileged position before God where Jesus walks among you in the form of the Holy Spirit. A church is not great because of its building or because it has talent or money or its ability by its staff to put together amazing programs that wow their congregation. Those are all wonderful man-created functions that I believe God will use. However, what makes a church truly great is that the Holy Spirit or Christ himself is in the building every single time we meet together. He's hovering over the babies. He's flowing through the coffee bar. He's hovering in our worship. The tangible presence of God is what makes a church great. He's the one that brings the greatness. And the Bible says Jesus walked among the seven lampstands of a church that was privileged to be given the gift. Now, here is what a lampstand does. When God sets a lampstand down in a church, it immediately makes a church visible and viable to an entire region. It immediately makes a church visible and viable to the entire region. And the light that goes out from that church says, the presence of God dwells here. Not hype, not emotionalism, but the presence of Jesus resides here. And the church in Los Angeles, the lost came and sought them out, getting saved in record number. Wouldn't that be amazing? That if the lost came and sought you out, getting saved in record number. But that's what happens when God sets a lampstand down. It draws them from the region. Thousands would be radically transformed and baptized in water in this church in Los Angeles. And for 40 years, God's presence was moving and hovering over that ministry. The problem came when the people who birthed that power through prayer began to pass on to their great reward. And God began to warn the church to return to what made them great. Not so much return in your public worship, but in your private life, return. Because there's so many of us in our public Sunday, we can worship, but we're not the same person on Monday through Friday. And he began to to warn them about pride secret sin, arrogance, and most of all, losing their first love. Let me take about 30 seconds and explain to you secret sin, because in the Bible, it doesn't call it secret sin. It calls it transgressions and iniquities. A transgression is an open rebellion against God. It's that you transgress God's law. You transgress God's, God's grace. It's when you do things and you, you blame it on who you are. Well, you know, I I'm Italian, so I can do that, or, or I'm Hispanic. It's just a machismo. No, it's your sin. I can act this way because, well, that's who my family is. No, you're transgressing the law of God. It's what you do openly. You know you shouldn't do it, but you do it anyway because you like it. 
I, I know I shouldn't see that movie. I know I shouldn't be with this person. I know I shouldn't drink these things. But you know, I like it. It's no big deal. That's a transgression. The iniquity is the secret sin. The iniquity is what you do in private to cover up what you've already done in public. In the book of Isaiah, the scripture says he was bruised for our transgressions at the cross. But then the prophet goes on to explain he was crushed for our iniquities. The secret sins that we think no one knows about. Only you and God. He was crushed for those things. And the Lord began to warn this church in Los Angeles about pride, secret sin, arrogance, and losing their first love. But the church leadership would not have anything to do with the warnings. They were basking in the momentum. They were living in the pride of the past. They looked around, and the building was full, and they began to say, look what we've done, look what we've accomplished. And the Lord removed the lampstand. And it's an ugly feeling to own a huge auditorium, a mass facility, and have 400 people when you used to have 12,000. The building filled with spiritual cobwebs at one time or another, now at one time was filled with the fire of God. And for many, many years, the church sat silent, only a memory of her bygone past, until Pastor Tommy Barnett from Phoenix First Assembly of God in Phoenix, Arizona, and his son Matthew, they went and started the Dream Center there in Los Angeles. They bought the Queen of Angels Hospital, and they started reaching out to the Echo Park region, and they started being the church and acting like the church instead of talking like they were the church. Thousands began to get saved, delivered, and healed to the glory of God. And God placed the lampstand again in Angela's temple. God placed it there. In prayer, the Holy Spirit began to whisper. And the Holy Spirit began to say, Randy, I want to place a lampstand in Church on the Rock. I believe that God is placing a lampstand in this church. What you have been experiencing for the last year is the presence of God. The anointing of God that sets people free. When you come and touch the hem of his garment in the altars of grace, and suddenly he changes your life from the inside out, that's called the presence of the Lord. And I believe with all my heart that God is placing a lampstand here. Remember, the lampstand makes you visible and viable to an entire region. And the message that goes out is simply this. You don't have to be perfect. Just come to Jesus. We don't care what you look like. We don't care what you smell like. We just want you to come to Jesus. God will clean you up. God is bringing a new generation to church on the rock. And if you believe that, somebody shout amen. Well, you didn't hear me. I said, if you believe that God is putting a lampstand here, somebody shout amen. amen. That tangible presence of God. Now, when he begins to move, your knees buckle. Friends, when Jesus uses the word first love in Revelation 2, 4, he's not speaking of the immature love we all experience when we first receive our salvation. No, actually, from the Greek to our language, the translation or the original language translates first love would be exclusive love. Exclusive love. So how does a loving father... A heavenly father, how does he illustrate exclusive love? Hosea, yes, Lord. 
Hosea, you are a godly man. Yes, Lord, but you're also a single man. Oh, yeah, I know, Lord. I want me a honey. I know, Lord. Hosea, I saw that it was not right for Adam to be alone, so I've got you a wife also, Hosea. Where is she, God? Follow me, son. And God walks Hosea down to the red light district. He takes him to prostitute row. Read the book of Hosea. It's amazing. And he says, Hosea, there's your wife. Where, God? Over there on the corner. She's the one waving at all the men when they walk by. Lord, that's a prostitute. That's, that's a woman who sells herself, Lord. That's, yes, Hosea, her name is Gomer, and I want you to marry a prostitute. It's in the book of Hosea. See, some of you are wondering, is the Bible even current? Everything you need for life is in there. The book of Hosea, Hosea turns and says, God, in prayer, God, why would you have me marry a prostitute? Let me translate it in our language. Let me condense the entire story of Hosea in just a little bit of time. Because God answers Hosea, Hosea, when you struggle to love someone that really doesn't love you, and when she embarrasses you with her habits and her hobbies and her hungers and her desires, and the only time she comes to your house, Hosea, is out of obligation because you put rings on her finger, shoes on her feet, clothes on her back. You put a roof over her head so she feels obligated. So she comes to your house maybe once a week, and that's all. And the whole time she's there, she's continually looking at her watch and glancing out the window, wondering when she can fulfill her obligation so she can go back to the street where she really wants to go. And she's just there out of obligation. And then you get word, Hosea, that she has been arrested and she's now being on trial for her sins. Remember, she's a prostitute, Hosea. And now she's being arrested for her sin. And you get word and you go stand in line and you pay the fine. And you don't do it once, Hosea. You go do it. Time after time after time after time, you go every time she stumbles and falls, and you go and redeem her because you love her, and you don't do it once, you don't do it twice, you do it over and over and over and over and over again. Then, Hosea, you'll understand what it is for a holy God to love you. Exclusive love. Exclusive love. Remember, God is a God of typologies, and how he treated natural Israel is how he will treat you and I who are spiritual Israel. In that picture of Hosea, God is saying, I want you to catch a glimpse of how you treat the Holy Spirit and how God continually redeems you. It's very significant 
to know that these Christians at Ephesus had walked closely with the Lord. Paul compliments them at length in Ephesians 1.19, addressing them as the faithful in Christ Jesus, blessed in all spiritual blessing in heavenly places with Christ, chosen before the foundation of the world. Ephesians 2.5 and 6 says they were quickened with Christ. The word Christ simply means the anointed one with the anointing. What a description of an awesome, blessed, holy people. Listen, when I read of Jesus walking among such well-taught believers as the Ephesians and saying, I have something against you, it grips my heart. And I have to ask the Lord, do you have anything against me? Have I lost my first love for you, my exclusive love, in the midst of traveling and preaching in conferences and revival meetings and marriage conferences and, and all the things we're doing, Lord? Have I lost my affection for you? I believe the Spirit of the Lord is calling this church to your first love. He's calling us to an exclusive love. Because God wants to place a lampstand here. Exclusive love is an amazing thing. Revelation 2 and 5, remember the height from which you have fallen and repent and do the things you did at first. What that means is, remember when you first came to know Christ? And you couldn't wait to spend time in the Word, and you couldn't wait to get on your knees, and you couldn't wait to pray, you couldn't wait to worship. Do the things you did at first, he says. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. Friends, I believe that just like God wants to place a lampstand in this church, he also has families that are lampstand families. People that make a viable difference in the lives of others. People that he could hold up in a neighborhood or in a family Thank God I had lampstands in my life or I wouldn't be here. My grandmother was a lampstand. Mijo, you haven't seen anything yet. That lampstand pointed me to Jesus. I would walk in my grandmother's home and you would sense the tangible presence of God. It wasn't anything spooky. There was just a peace. You walk in and... Oh, that's just so peaceful. Has anybody ever walked in your house and said, wow, there's such, I love your home. It's, it's wonderful. Oh, I'm not just talking about the decor and the velvet Jesus on the wall. Or, and, and the decor is beautiful and the Home and Gardens magazine, oh, it's so awesome. And, and, and it smells like arroz con pollo and patel. It's so good. It smells so good in here, uh, but that's not what I'm talking about. Uh, I'm talking about something beyond the natural. There's just a peace. When's the last time someone told you there's a peace here? Sister Gladys Pearson would walk with one of these moms in our church. She always showed up to church late, not out of rebellion, 
but because her fingers were so gnarled and twisted from arthritis and she had a hump in her back and her knees were swollen and she had a hard time walking and she always showed up to church in the middle of the service. Again, not out of rebellion, but that's how long it took her to get out of her little apartment. She was a spinster, you know, she never married. And I used to tease her and I'd say, Sister Pearson, you need a man. She had a little bun and a shawl, and she'd say, oh, baby, I got a man. I'd say, ooh, Sister Pearson got a man. She'd say, that's right. My man opens doors that no man can open. She'd go, glory to God. i say, oh, he's always on time. He never leaves me nor forsakes me. She'd walk in the center aisle of our church, and she'd lean against the pillar that held up the balcony, and she'd say, Holy Spirit, I'm coming. The spirit is willing, but this whole tired flesh is weak. And whew, here came the lampstand. She'd come down to the front, and if you were sitting here with his brothers in the front, she'd tap me on the shoulder. She'd say, baby, can you help me bend my knees? I haven't prayed today. And we all knew Mother Pearson prayed 24 hours a day, seven days a week. The anointing was in the service before she got there, but when she showed up, do you know what would happen in this church if you became a lampstand and you became a lampstand and you became a lampstand and every one of us became a lampstand and when that lampstand came together on a Sunday, it'd be a Holy Ghost bonfire and people would just come just to watch us burn. And they'd go and lay her down prostrate where we get the English word proskania, with her face to the ground and her spirit soaring like an eagle. And there would come a sound out of her, the likes I'll never forget. It wasn't scary. It wasn't loud. It wasn't presumptuous. It was, oh, real quiet. And she'd say, Holy Spirit, while others now are calling, do not pass me by. I didn't understand it until I got to college, and I found out the Hebrew word for the word for groan means a yearning and a longing for more of the Christ. How hungry are you for God to put a lampstand in your home? That you might light the way (laughs) and point someone to Jesus. Not only does God have families and individuals that are lampstands, but God has nations. And God has chosen a nation to carry his lampstand. And he has told that nation, as long as you are faithful, obedient, and righteous, I will put a lampstand in your nation, and you'll be the seed of Christianity to all the world. It all started the moment the apostle Paul was born again. His life was summed up in the city of Rome. Did you know that Rome was the first lampstand of Christianity to the world? The book of Romans shows the heart of the passion of the apostle greater than anything he ever wrote. Italy was the first lampstand of Christianity to the world. Then the lampstand was moved from, from Italy to London, England. At one time in history, the British sent powerful missionaries around the world. Their Bible colleges and universities bulged with mighty prophetic preaching and teaching. They sent them to India, to Africa, to Asia, the Philippines, the Netherlands, and the Pacific Islands. And just as they've been imperialistic and conquering nations, they spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. But you hear me in our closing moments together. At the close of every century, something strange happens to the lampstand nation. 
History tells us that the last decade of every year repeatedly runs the same course. 1790 to 1800, 1890 to 1900, 1990s to the year 2000, and now 2000 to 2018, only by the grace of God, has been the peak of immorality in world history and in American history and lampstand nations. Dr. David McKenna Biblical historian, after studying Rome, England, and now present-day America, has isolated five warning signs that God may possibly move the lampstand. Remember, the lampstand is God's presence among us. And he lists the five comparisons from Rome to England and America that God is possibly going to lift his hand off that nation. Listen very closely. How many will give me just a couple more minutes to finish this? Amen. The first... Similarity, number one, the system of justice and criminal law breaks down. The legal system collapses under the weight of all the cases the courts have to try. Number two, politicians become absolutely indistinguishable from each other. The people feel there's no longer any choice in leadership, so they no longer cast a vote. Number three, the wealth is inordinately transferred to an elite group so the government steps in and redistributes the wealth, causing heavy imbalances in the financial system. Number four, immorality becomes pandemic. And what used to be called sin now just becomes life. And number five, the church becomes lethargic and inward, losing its influence in the mainstream culture. Now, here's the point. Over 225 years ago, England relinquished the lampstand of the, of the seat of Christianity, and it moved west to the United States of America. In America, we became a great nation, not because of our talent, not because of our ingenuity, not because of our money or our self-determination, but because we as a nation took the gift of God, the lampstand, and we said, Lord, we will be the missionary nation to the world. We will not be ashamed to proclaim the greatness of God to the four corners of our planet. We will stand in our pulpits and proclaim that Jesus is alive and he is well. And we will not compromise the gospel of Jesus Christ. An American eclipsed by the grace of God all that England ever achieved. For England's John Wesley, the Lord gave us Charles Finney. For their Charles Spurgeon, the Lord gave us D.L. Moody. Talk about a lampstand, a one-eyed black preacher by the name of William Seymour who couldn't get into many white churches. He went across the tracks in Azusa, California, and he rented an old barn that smelled like cows, dung, and horse dung, and he began to have church there. People began to jump out of wheelchairs. Blinded eyes began to open as God set the lampstand down. It became visible and viable to an entire region. Movie stars and people came by the thousands to an old warehouse. Not because they had fancy lights and smoke, not because they had a coffee bar, but because they had the power of the risen Savior that was moving through that congregation. They would look at William Seymour and his people would say, Pastor, you're embarrassing us. Blinded eyes are opening, the deaf are hearing, the lame are walking. We're looking for you, Pastor, but you're laying on your face in the altar with your head in an old wooden shoebox. And William Seymour would get up and smile and say, child, 
In a move of God, man in our humanity, we look to the sacred desk to find the mighty man of God so that we might validate what is happening. But in a true move of God, there's no such thing as a mighty man of God, only men and women that love a mighty God. Does anybody see the difference? And right now, America, we are doing everything that London, England, and Rome did just prior to them losing the lampstand. And the question has got to be asked, how bad do you want it? Because history tells us in the late 18th century, just prior to England losing the lampstand, more people were going to seances and interested in the things of the supernatural than actually they were going to church. In the city of London alone, 60,000 prostitutes were operating. 60,000 prostitutes were operating. The church was abandoned. Morals were gone. Meanwhile, men like Whitfield and Wesley were preaching in America, and the lampstand moved west. And did you know right now, friends, that Asia is praying for the lampstand to come there? Singapore, China, all over Asia, they're praying for it again. And here in America, we're saying, you know what, I don't know if we really want it. There might be somebody here saying that, well, this kind of preaching isn't wanted or needed in our churches, and I beg to differ. I, if we don't preach the gospel, the very point the devil is attacking, then we are truly not preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I believe we have a responsibility to an end-time generation to tell them it's okay to be cool, it's okay to be young and have fun, but friend, more than that, you have got to sell out to Jesus. It's, you've got to be a Holy Spirit, powerful person of God. You've got to love him more today than yesterday, but not half as much as tomorrow. Here's why. Because right now in America, we are saying, I want no intrusion, and if I make a mistake, I want the government to pay for it. America is saying, forget hard work. I want a free meal. Meanwhile, there is a church in Seoul, Korea, of well over 800,000 people that are praying for the lampstand to go there. The greatest growing church right now is in underground mainland China. They're exploding with record numbers despite all the attempts of the communist government to try and stop the wave of revival sweeping that nation. Africa and Haiti are in the midst, in the midst of the pain and the heartache, are experiencing massive revivals. Meanwhile, here in America, we're saying we don't know if we want it. Well, why would you say that, Pastor? Why would you say that? Well, let's go look at Scripture again as I try to close this. Because by our actions, we're stating we're no longer sure if we really want it in our families and in our church, in our nation. I want all the musicians to come quickly. Look at Revelation chapter 2, verse 6. But you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Let me teach you just for a couple more minutes what the Bible is saying. The Nicolaitans were practicing a doctrine called antinomianism. Antinomianism. Well, who were the Nicolaitans, Pastor? Well, the Nicolaitans were a, Nicholas was a convert from Greece by the Apostle Paul. Nicholas 
was one of the magnificent seven, chosen to be a deacon in the book of Acts, the sixth chapter. And prior to becoming a deacon in the church in Acts chapter six, he was in paganism. He was involved in heavy Greek worship. Paul came through Greece and led him to the Lord. He came to know Christ, but he never allowed a lot of the doctrines of the world to be completely taken away from him, and he incorporated the doctrines of the world along with Christianity. And he began to mix the lifestyle, and he began to create a doctrine called antinomianism, and the people that listened to him became the Nicolaitans, and they listened to his doctrine. The doctrine of antinomianism simply says... Having faith allows man to do and live as he pleases. Nicholas, a free thinker, was teaching, it doesn't matter if you have sex before marriage. It doesn't matter if you have homosexual relationships. It doesn't matter what your lifestyle is as long as you can proclaim a little faith at the end of the week. God doesn't care how you live. He knows your heart. Antinomianism is easy believism. Easy believism says, well, if I just show up once a month, then we're good because it's a token relation. God understands it's no big deal. I can go party on Friday and Saturday and come to church on Sunday and worship with the best of them. Easy believism or antinomianism in Revelation, this is the teaching. You look it up yourself. The Greek lifestyle was all about self, was all about absorbing in self. And Nicholas was teaching, it's all about you, baby. It's all about you. God understands you. He, he made you. He created you. He created those urges in you. So you go ahead and just fulfill every urge of the flesh. You go ahead and do it. And then on Sunday, you come in and just praise God. And that's good enough. And if you read it with me, what does God say? I hate that doctrine. The word doctrine simply means teaching. I hate that teaching. Easy believism says, well, let somebody else come to prayer meeting. Let someone else. I've I've done my time. Jesus was saying, you hate all doctrines of easy believism that says God overlooks the deeds of the flesh. You stand up against unholy lifestyle. You cling to righteousness. Would to God that this again would be a part of the character of the modern-day American church. However, easy believism is reigning supreme in America today. How bad do you really want your family saved? How bad? There's a price to pay to bring the lampstand. Are we standing on the precipice of the Lord lifting his hand off of the church in America? Are we standing on the precipice of him taking his hand off of our nation? I began to pray, Lord, would you set the lampstand down in my house? But you know, it's hard. And, and I came home from speaking, a long speaking engagement, and, and I was very tired, and, and my kids were still in high school at the time. They're all in college now. And, and, and I walked into the house, and my boys had invited all their friends over during the summer to come swim. We have a pool, swim in our house. And I walked in, and there were kids everywhere. And I was, oh, Lord. 
So I said, well, I'll just go to my room and I'll ignore him, you know. So I went to my room and there was Marcus Gann, my son's best friend, sitting on my bed on the good comforter that I'm not even allowed to sit on. He was eating Cheetos and he was watching, he's watching television, wiping the orange Cheetos on the towels, the good towels, the one you and I aren't allowed to touch. And I said, oh my, what are you doing? Get out, you're not allowed to sit on that. I can't even sit on it. And I paid for it. You could get me in trouble. How many husbands know what I mean? Yeah. We get to use the Walmart towels. They get to use the Target towels. Target, excuse me. And he looked at me, this big old kid, six foot something or other, I don't know, big football player, and he looked at me, and he looked right at me, and here's what he said. Hey, Rev, do I really got to go? When I walk in your house, he didn't even say any words. He just said, and the Holy Spirit said, you want the lampstand? I said, no, baby, you don't have to go. You don't have to leave. You hungry? I'll go make you a steak. What do you, what do you need? Walked back down the hallway. The Holy Spirit just kicked me in the rear the whole way. Just, you say you want it, but when you get tired, you act like you don't need it. And there are people that are watching you, son. They're watching you. And I want them to see you and say, what's that peace in your eyes? There's something around you that's driving me crazy. People on the job are watching the way you handle your everyday experiences in life because they know you call yourself a Christian. Holy Spirit, you're welcome in this place. Have your way. And everything in me says it's time to pray. Holy Spirit, we're not coming to the altar to pray for survival. Or coming to pray simply to enjoy the blessings of God. Church on the Rock has had numerous blessings. We're coming to God today to recapture our first love. To ask God for a spirit of fire that would melt the hearts of every man, woman, boy, and girl that would come into this building. We want to fall in love with Jesus all over again. We're coming, Lord, not to beg you for anything, but believing that out of this church would come lampstands that would go to every neighborhood, every office building, every home in the area, Father. Lord, that they would pull off I-90 because you set a lampstand right here in the middle of this field. And they'd say, we don't know why we're here. We just know you're pulled. Something told me to come here. In Jesus' name. For, Lord, you placed us on I-90 because it's an artery or the, the vein that goes straight to Chicago. I want you to stand all over the room right now. Just stand. And get ready. If you want the lampstand in your home, 
in your church, in your nation, will you just lift your hands and say, Holy Spirit, I'm ready. As they begin to sing this song, I want you to worship him right now. Just worship him. Just worship him. Just worship him. I know I've gone way over time. But just worship him. For what's about to happen right now is God's about to put a lampstand down in this church. The tangible presence of God. Many of you, your knees will buckle as the presence of the Lord begins to fill this place. But I want you to welcome him. How bad do you want it? I want you to get rid of easy believism in your life right now and just say, Lord, I'm hungry for it.